say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the show. I'm Jason Waddell. Uh, I have with me probably one of like my favorite people in the prospect world, Emily Walden of The Athletic. Emily, how are you doing? I'm doing so good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Um, for me, this is kind of exciting because when I first started doing this, you were one of the first people that had like 10,000 plus followers to follow me to or to at least follow me back and and retweet some of the stuff that I was that I was posting and so I kind of feel like I owe a little bit of my success to your willingness to uh, take someone with like 30 followers on Twitter and be like yeah that's good content I can look past the <laughs> fact that uh, nobody else cares no seriously you I, I will stop you right there you've put the work in You've done some really, really great stuff, so you've earned it. I'm happy to support in any way I can. Well, thank you for that. Um, you know, we had like, uh, for most people don't know this because I don't think either one of us advertised it, And but we met in Lakeland last year and had like this interesting conversation at Applebee's, and that's kind of always stuck with me, some of the stuff that we talked about, but um, without getting too deep in, into that, I just want for now, like tell, you know, the people listening, how you got started doing what you're doing, because if I'm not mistaken, this isn't your full-time job. You're working 40 hours a week for the man, right? That is correct. Yeah. I'm currently working as a customer service manager for a Mercedes dealership. I thought you were doing like window repair before. Did you get a new job? I did. Yep. Yep. Recently switched over to kind of balance out with my, my writing plans, my travel plans, and it's been a really, really good fit. So I'm definitely very happy to be there. So is the new gig going to lead to more trips to Lakeland? That is to be determined. <laughs> is the, <laughs> that is, <laughs> is the vacation package better? It's it's definitely favorable. I know I put out on Twitter, much to the, the chagrin of my Tigers followers, that I would not be attending spring training in Lakeland this year, unfortunately. That's right. Sad trombone. You're going to Arizona. You're going <laughs> to Arizona, am. right? It's, I am. It's going to be a first time 
doing the Arizona route for spring training this year. So taking my, obviously keep my Tigers coverage going during the regular season, but I've had some expanded national prospect coverage opportunities. And so I've gotten a chance to take that out to Arizona and check in on some of the teams and see what kind of content I can provide. That's pretty cool. I feel like Arizona for spring training is set up way more efficient than Florida. I would agree. I would definitely agree. And for anybody who's been to Florida, you can sympathize. It's long, long rides in the car, air conditioning cranked up, depending on what time of year you go. And getting from one park to the other can be pretty strenuous. But the the setup in Arizona, if I remember correctly, the furthest park, I think, is going to take you maybe 45 minutes to an hour. Whereas you go to Florida and you're looking at several hours in the car, depending on what location you're headed to. So it's quite a bit more fan-friendly out in Arizona. Do you know how much of a of a struggle it is for me to know that, like... The Mets, like I feel like the Mets lower level systems are loaded and it's like, man, I really want to see these guys. But this is a four hour trip, three and a half hours, four hours just to get there. It definitely is. And plus you factor in, you know, certain toll roads that apply in the area, too. And so you really have to be strategic. I've talked to other friends in the Florida area who do some stuff on the prospect beat and it's it can be it can be a little bit of a headache, but if you play your cards right, wait for certain teams to come to certain parks, you can generally get a pretty good overall view. You just have to schedule it out in advance. Yeah, I think Florida State League it's 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 going to work itself out. For me, like if you if you think about like the GCL, the Tigers, the Braves, the Phillies, the Blue Jays, and the Yankees all play each other, but they don't. They don't take those long bus rides in the GCL four hours down to Jupiter and and Palm Beach. So for me, it's like a full day. If I want to go see Astros, Nationals, Cardinals, uh, Mets, Marlins, those GCL teams, it's like I got to go across state. I got to go across Alligator Alley, and it's pretty much the entire day. And I might get there, and the GCL, it'd be like, eh, those guys aren't playing today. Sorry. And honestly, the odds of Florida State League, GCL, how many games do we actually get in between the rainouts? <laughs> That's true, too. It rains every day here. Um, it's You got to have an umbrella in Florida. And I didn't own an umbrella or a jacket before I moved down here. And now I am always cold and it's and, and I'm always wet. Yep, that's that's the life that you you choose down there. It's a lot of sunshine, but you have to be able to put up with those intermittent showers that tend to put a damper throughout the baseball season. I think the problem with me during the baseball season is if I know it's going to rain and it's like 45 minutes to another field, I've already worked all day. I'm getting off at four o'clock. I'm going to sit in terrible traffic do i want to drive all the way 45 minutes to an hour somewhere only to turn around and come back that's kind of my struggle i i don't know if other people have that sort of struggle because i feel like they grind a little bit harder and they're just there um and they're there for the rain out um but for me it's it's i guess it's good that i have stadiums that are three miles from my house because i've literally checked twitter 
seeing that that two hour rain delay is not going to, they're not going to bang the game. And then I'm like, Oh shit, let me get my pants on. I got to go to the game. <laughs> so that, that, that does work in my, in my favor a, a little bit. Um, so we talked about like, you know, working, uh, you know, 40 hours a week. So I guess my question is, and this, and this is what fascinates me with anybody who's doing what we're doing, because, uh, I feel like covering prospects is, in, in our own little bubble, everyone wants to know about prospects, but in the larger scheme of baseball, we are just, we are very, very like niche and, and I feel like small compared to the larger scheme of, of major league baseball, which we don't really talk about. At least I don't. So what would possess someone to say, I'm going to work, but I'm going to start going to minor league games and tell the story of what I see at minor league fields. You know, it's, it's funny. People ask that question quite a bit. You know, what, what prompted me to pursue, you know, this, this trail that I've been on for the last getting ready to start my fifth year. Um, It wasn't an aspiration I had at the beginning. I wanted to just be around the game that was really the biggest thing that that I viewed and um, what had happened was a website that had brought me on to start doing some contribution um, the bless you boys website through us oh, I love those guys um, shout out to those guys it's love them. awesome group over there um, they brought me on and um, Rob one of the editors there he kind of casually mentioned hey you should go to some white caps games you live in Grand Rapids um, the Whitecaps are the Tigers Class A affiliate, and I live 10 minutes from the park. And they said, you know, we could use some more minor league coverage. And I thought, eh, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <that's, laughs> Didn't really, yeah. you know, I, I, I went to games a lot. My dad and I would go, my siblings would go, because obviously it's baseball, it's affordable, it's easily accessible, it's it's there. And so started doing that, and because of the fact that I have a very hard time doing anything half-hearted, I started to realize, if I'm going to cover this, I need to cover the whole farm system. Otherwise, I'm not doing my job. And so it sort of began to develop. I started to travel a little bit more, showed up at these ballparks I'd never been to, you know, trying to figure out who to meet, who to build relationships with, started literally from scratch I had no clue what I was doing and it was a combination of the drive behind knowing this is what I was passionate about this is the you know the the venue that I really wanted to pursue and it just sort of started to kind of come together I mean I could tell story after story after story of things that happened those first two years that almost forced me to walk away and Mm. I just kept saying you know this this is what I love. This game is what I love. I have doors opening for me left and right. I want to see how far I can take this. And obviously, I want to see what I can do to tell the players stories and to give these players a voice. Whereas you mentioned, people aren't really paying attention at the lower levels. And so it's my opportunity to give them a platform, spotlight what they're doing, talk to guys who wouldn't generally get attention and sort of be their voice. And that's really what it's been the last four years. Do you find that the minor league game is still uh, has that sort of innocence and purity? If we're kind of talking like from a, from a old school baseball field of dreams type 
context that the major leagues tend to lack, and maybe it's the the oversaturation of coverage of the major leagues that makes us feel this way. But am, you am know, I alone in thinking that? I I think it's yes to a certain degree. I think it's a different type of innocence because, in my opinion, and I'm sure you agree with this too. Very little, if anything, compares to October baseball. And that's yeah. Major League Baseball. You know, having the, you know, the, the phrases that the 1990s Yankees coined, the aura and mystique of Derek Jeter in the postseason. Um, you know, having all of those those feelings and just the nostalgia of, you know, seeing these storied franchises accomplishing so many great things. That carries its own magic that Minor League Baseball won't ever really be able to encapsulate because it's these players who are household names, you know, they're, they're icons in their own right. But when you get to the minor league level, I, I often equate it to, you know, college basketball where March madness is one of my favorite things because you've got guys who still have something to prove. Yeah. I think that's the biggest piece to it. They're out there going, I don't know what job security is. So I've got to get out there I've got to show that I'm going to be a cut above the rest in that, you know, for baseball that, you know, 10 or less percent of thousands and thousands of players who get this opportunity to show what their stuff is worth. And so I think for them at that level, they're excited because they know how hard they've worked. They know how much these games mean and they know everybody's watching them from the front office. So that kind of adds a little bit more you know, I think competitive edge to it and a little bit more excitement when they're able to come out on top. So as you started going to Whitecaps games and then eventually down to Lakeland and then also Erie and Toledo and, and the rest of uh, the rest of these Tigers affiliates, did, did you kind of get the sense that you were walking into an untapped market? Did, did that kind of help the drive or was it just it's baseball and I'm covering it, and it's beautiful. I feel like it was very untapped when I first started. My first year was 2015, and that was my first full season where I was I was into it. And I think it really hit me my first trip to Erie, um, which is in the Eastern League out in Pennsylvania. And I went to talk to one of the media people and said, "Hey, can I, you know, go to the clubhouse?" And walked out to where the clubhouse area is one of the guys brought me inside and everybody panicked because there was a woman Mm. and I went they and it wasn't so much that there was a woman there 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 was one other well and there was one other beat writer they they just weren't used to having coverage other than the local paper the local news station would do features on the team and they the town takes a lot of pride in that baseball team it's a very very old town it's got a very kind of a a steel city pittsburgh feel to it um and so they they take a lot of pride in that team there just isn't there isn't the the notoriety of of that team you know you don't have yeah you know coverage from all around the area it's just it's that town and so when i went in there i went oh my gosh like i'm i'm one of very few people who's doing this right now and it, it kind of hit me at that point and it sort of inspired me to go a little bit harder and to drive a little bit deeper because I got to write the playbook. Yeah. I got to write that how-to manual and say, 
nobody else is doing this. So I really get to decide what works and what doesn't. And that led to a lot of trial and error, <laughs> led to a lot of, you know, learning from my mistakes, asking a lot of questions, and then just sort of putting one foot in front of the other from there. Now, I know for me, it's kind of a, a, a similar sort of not, I, I don't know if it, if it's necessarily a similar start, but I think when I first started, it was, wow, there's, there's not much people, there's not many, it, not many people out here doing this and it's unfettered access. A lot of times I was the only person in the press box outside of the, outside of like the uh, scorekeeper and the, and, and the play-by-play guys. So, um, you know, seeing how open a lot of the players were to talk and, and, and how interested people were in the videos I shot because in the Florida State League, there's no MILB TV. So like that was it. Um, you know, that kind of helped me drive forward for me, like major league baseball. I feel like it's so oversaturated. I, there's like nothing for me to provide when it comes to, to major, the, the guys that are doing it are already doing it and there's already video and, and analytics and you can, what am I going to tell you that, that you can't already get? So for me, it's, it's actually made me fall in love with minor league baseball more so than the majors. Have you found that as you've spent so much time in minor league parks outside of October? Yeah, I would say it's, there's definitely, I think more of a homey feel there for me, um, being at the minor league level. And it's funny because when I go to games, I don't go as a fan anymore to minor league games. I'm there to work. I'm obviously, if I'm in the seats, I'm not going to cheer you know, if I'm in the press box, I'm not going to cheer. Obviously, you can smile a little bit if it's a good play or talk about it. But, you know, it's you're there to do a certain job. And so you want to maintain that professional um, nature about yourself. But what I'll do is I'll go to major league games just to remind myself why I love the game so much. You know, just go sit back, have a beer, you know, just enjoy enjoy the atmosphere because you're not working. You can actually go and just be a fan there. So that's kind of how I balance it out because I, I want to keep my focus at the minor league level and make sure I'm maintaining my coverage. And then every once in a while, I'll just break off and I'll drive down to Detroit, you know, catch a Tigers game, be able to just relax and sort of resets me a little bit for going into the next week with the minor league coverage. Now, when when I first started, I was not a scout. I'm, I'm probably still not, but I definitely didn't look at the game from a scout perspective. Um, it was more video and, and maybe reporting. I was more into interviews then. I know that you and you have talked about like the scouting aspect and, um, is that something that you started to develop over time? How many, you know, seasons did it take before you started to look at the game from a scout's kind of eyes as opposed to a reporter for bless you boys like you were in the beginning yeah it's it's funny because I've always done player evaluation to a certain degree um I grew up around the game two of my brothers played from eight years old all the way through senior year of high school and my dad would coach summer teams I would help run practices I was always around the game and I started to develop a habit where I would always end up behind the plate and for some of the older high school fields um, I come from small town Michigan so a lot of very you know low income type fields nothing super fancy no really noticeable grandstands so a lot of times you could just stand behind the fence right behind home plate and I would just watch the pitchers 
I would watch how pitches broke. I would watch their release point. I'd watch how their foot landed. I'd watch, you know, are they hiding the ball? Are they not hiding the ball? And would go around and watch hitters from both sides and just study their hands, watch their, their hips, their footwork. But I didn't pursue that aspect of it until much later on because I was told that girls don't do that. That was that was a big, big piece behind why I waited until I did for that part of it. So before we unpack that toxic masculine statement, um, how many years, you mentioned you're going into year five, how many years was were you in the game before you said, you know what, girls can do this and I'm going to do I- it? Yeah, I would say probably, I would say probably my third year, I think. I would say probably maybe late second, early third. And I thought, you know, I I think I've got a pretty good head on my shoulders for this. And I can't preach enough about having a good support system around you. And I've been surrounded by some of the most incredible, talented, supportive people. I mean, I could in the next hour listing off everybody who I could thank for just sticking it out with me over the last few years. It's it's vital. Whether you're, you know, a man in the business or a woman in the business, you have to have people who are going to, number one, call you out if you need it, you know, keep you humble, help you believe in yourself, be there for you if you have a rough go during a game, give you support, give you advice. You need those people. And if you ever feel like you're above that, you're not going to succeed in this business. You have to have a core of people with you to talk truth into your life and be able to help guide you along the way. So how how much did you feel like early in your career did you have to rely on that support group simply because people did not give you the benefit of the doubt because of your gender? More times than I can count. it's uh it's it's something where I'm by nature anybody who knows me knows that I'm an encourager I'm I'm a cheerleader I'm somebody who I want to see people become who they're meant to be I love to call out goodness in people and help them you know realize what they're they're called to do in life and my skin has gotten much thicker over the years but for me it was having those people who were able to just settle me back down. I'm a very black and white thinker. Um, I like straightforward advice. I like people to set me straight. And so having those people where I said, look, you know, is, is this the end of the world? They're like, no, this is not the end of the world. You're tougher than this. You can handle this. Get up tomorrow. Go back to the field. Do your thing. And that, that's all I needed. Do you think you would be where you are now? with the athletic, which is, I mean, the athletic has to be up there with baseball America at this point, right? Um, as far as like prospect coverage is, or, or baseball coverage for that matter. I've always, I grew up with baseball America, so they're kind of the, the cathedral, right? You know, the, sure. but the athletics closing that gap. They have to be. They, from, from a writing perspective, they absolutely are. I think, um, as far as kind of the nitty gritty of prospect coverage, I would still give that edge to Baseball America, um, just because they have such a sound structure of reports and you know videos and all of that stuff. And I know so many of those guys over there, and they're such such an incredible team. Um, ben Badler, JJ Cooper, you know Kyle um, Glazer, all those guys are just 
they're they're top notch and I'm so blessed to know them. But um, with the athletic, the, the the writing aspect has definitely taken off, especially over the last couple of years. So, do you think that you would be one of the lead prospect writers for the athletic if you had not endured some of this bullshit that you endured strictly because of who you you know you're being a woman? Do you think that that was I mean that that resiliency is I, I, how do I ask this? The experience of it and your own resiliency is why you are where you are today. I, I give my credit for still being in the business to my support system because it was those talks that we would have and, you know, is this okay? Is that okay? Should I be concerned about this? What do I do in this situation? It's those veterans um, that really kind of helped keep me centered and keep me grounded and let me know, hey, they don't have power over you. You know, if somebody says something about you, they don't get to control your future. They don't get to call the shots. You call the shots. How bad do you want this? How bad do you want to keep chasing it? And that really kept me going. So I've always felt like if, if people are going to, whether they're in the industry or not, you know, cause sometimes it's the criticism from outside of the industry. I feel like that's a little bit easier to ignore, even though it still kind of bugs me, but the criticism within the industry sometimes can can sting a little bit. But I, how much of that criticism, I guess, was levied toward your content or it was grasping at straws to try and tear you down without addressing the actual content that you were producing? I think it was a combination of both. Um, I know that it was hard to take the criticism at first simply because putting yourself out there in general is terrifying. Putting your work out there, if you, if you haven't been doing it very long, it takes a while to you know, expose yourself, so to speak, and let people give their opinions. It's, it's a very terrifying process. And so that part of it, that was a big adjustment for me. Um, like I said, my skin had to get thicker. I had to take a step back take a deep breath and say they're not attacking me they're helping me get better they're helping me grow whether that be from a critical standpoint or whether that be from a hey i see something here and i want to see you reach your full potential so i'm going to call you out i'm going to do it in love but i'm going to call you out and you can ask some of my closest friends i had conversations that stung them telling me hey that's you're you're above that don't go there and having to humble myself and saying, if I want to get better, I have to take this criticism. I can't get defensive because I know that what they're saying is for my benefit. And I think you have to learn to differentiate between what is the what is this person's reasoning for telling you what they're telling you? Are they telling you to tear you down? Or are they telling you because they see what you could become if you continue to polish and become a better version of yourself? Well, I feel like if they're, if they're really have your best interest in heart, then I think that it's very clear the um, motivation of the criticism versus we just don't like you and this is a chance to kind of kick you when when you're down. And you you learn you learn to tell the difference. Um, I mean even to this day, 
on Twitter, I'll still occasionally get the go back to the kitchen comments, which Jesus I find Christ. to be, I, I find them to be pretty humorous nowadays because yeah, I've, point, I've dealt right. with, with much worse, but you kind of just go, you know, there's a lot of unhappy people out there. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a lot of very unhappy people. And I think if you're able to keep yourself grounded, you know, nose to the grindstone, remember what, what is the end game? What are you working towards? What's your goal? If you're able to keep your sight on that, you're more able to drown out those voices that try and come in. And some of the best advice that I ever received from one of my mentors was as you get further along in your, you know, career building and all of that, you learn what voices to turn up and what voices to tune out. And as it gets very, very, it gets much easier the further you get along. But that was very hard because I was listening to everybody at the beginning. That's great advice. That's probably some of the best advice. Nobody's ever really given me advice in this industry. Um, I've just kind of started tweeting and here I am. Um, But I feel like that might be some of the best advice that anyone trying to break in can have. Um, because you're going to hear, like, I don't know how Keith Law does it with 500,000 followers on Twitter and everyone yelling at him. It's, you know, but I feel like once you get that big, it's easy to discern. This guy's worth my time. This guy isn't. And I think for me, like, if we talk about, you know, you'd mentioned some of the some of kind of the criticisms and some of the struggles that you face just being a woman in this industry as a man on the inside. uh, Let me tell you that a lot of the criticism that's weighed to you or that's, that's levied against you by men that is not constructive criticism strictly becomes from a place of jealousy because you are with the athletic with 15 thousand followers on Twitter and a platform and they aren't and they're looking and 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 in their mind it's how does this chick have this and and I don't accept that you're grinding and they aren't and ultimately they can't see past the fact that one it doesn't matter you know but and then two they don't respect the hard work because it's, oh, well, she's a girl. Of course, they, you know, of course people are going to like her. I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like women can't win in this industry. They're, if they're popular, it's because they're good-looking women. And if they make the slightest slip up and it's, ah, look, see, we told you, she, she's only popular because she's a woman. On the, on the flip side, though, you mentioned some pretty scary kind of comments that had been made to you that are like subtle jabs that that aren't even like in the scheme of the me too movement egregious enough to you know to like make a headline but it's thousands of those little subtle comments every day that like to me mad props to anybody any woman a man in a male dominated sport that's out there hitting the pavement grinding I have nothing but the utmost respect because I will never experience a fraction of the bullshit that you have to go through on almost a daily basis. And you you remind yourself why you're doing what you're doing. And I, I can't say enough about 
the people who have come alongside me, like I said, again, the ones who kind of helped helped me tune a lot of that stuff out. And one of my, one of my best friends in the business, um, he, he's been around the game for, for almost 10 years now. And he said, you know, I, I'd call him up and I'd say, you know, Hey, I had this issue today at a game. What, what do I do about it? You know, this person said this, and he would very simply and very calmly ask me, why does that guy matter? And it, it was almost kind of a slap in the back of the head. Like, why, why does this matter? They, they don't, they don't matter. Their opinion is not going to, to make or break you unless you let it. And so for me, my goal from the beginning has been, if I continue to move ahead in this business, I want it to be for my work. I want people to look at that and say, that's quality work, that's quality content. And that's why she's doing what she's doing. I don't want to be known as a woman in baseball. I want to be known as a writer and a player evaluator. That's what I want to be known for. How far away, or maybe maybe you you've already achieved it, but how far do you think that you've achieved that yet? I guess it would be the first question. Do you think that as a society, at least in in the followers on Twitter and and whatever you know, uh, kind of a dealing that you have with fans, do you think that you've achieved that? To be totally honest, I'm never satisfied with my work. <laughs> I think we can all kind of feel that way at a certain, you know, at a certain level, but I think that I'm moving in the direction I would like to move. Um, I don't, I don't think I'm there, I guess you could say, I don't think I've, I've reached that point and I don't know if I'll ever feel like I've reached that point, but I think that that is the healthy drive inside me to show that I can keep going and I can keep accomplishing things and I can keep challenging myself and also not be defined by society standards and say, I, I get to call the shots here. I get to, to walk out this journey, you know, to however, whatever area it leads me to for however long it allows me to do this. I want to say that I did it because of my work. And if I pave a way for women down the road, that is more awesome than I could ever ask for. I want to see these opportunities become available to women and I want to see them be able to get that chance. But it, I believe in any area of life, you have to earn what you want. You have to work for it. Whoever you are, whatever you're doing, you have to earn that spot. And so for me, I know that if I want to keep moving forward, it has to be for quality instead of just, you know, elbowing my way through. I want it to be for the work that I'm producing. And I do think that I'm headed in that direction, but I know I still have a lot of work yet to do. I, I agree. I, I don't think that you've been handed anything because you're a woman, but it's absolutely 100% because of the hustle, the the work ethic and the quality. So that's just Thank my you. two cents. Um, because I feel like a lot of the things that you had, that we had talked about before in Lakeland, um, you know, some of the things that you had mentioned, that was, that was the attempt to, to kind of derail what you were trying to do is this girl really serious yada 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 um at the end of the day even the most ardent anti-women shouldn't be doing this i think even then once you know, they can see you know what she works too hard and and i do you do you feel like you've won the respect of some of uh, uh, of some of the um of some of the people that maybe were 
you felt like were against you at the beginning of your career? I like to think so. Um, like I said, it's, it's something where I'm constantly striving to get better. And I, I don't think I give as much thought now to if people are accepting me. I think it's more me looking at what I'm putting out and saying, okay, this is getting better. And I've, I've sort of, you know, tuned, tuned down the degree of voices that I am listening to. And I think that's helping me stay more zoned into what I'm working towards. And so I honestly don't think I give it as much thought now. It's still in the back of my mind, but I don't think that I'm really investing as much emotion into it. And so it's not really having the same impact that it did over the first couple of years. So speaking of that, like that fear of, I'm going to put this article out there and I don't know how people are going to take it. Um, I recently wrote a Tiger's top 30 and I hate writing top 30s. Um, I feel like they're so subjective that you, if you ask me to write it again two weeks later, I'm going to write it different, but yet I'm still going to be held, once it's published, I'm going to be held to the thoughts that I had at the moment that it was published and, and I'm going to be judged by that. Um, is there certain sort of pieces that you write that you know, shit, this is good. This is, this is the fast, but this is the two Oh fastball down the middle. He shouldn't have thrown me that <laughs> versus man. I'm just fighting off pitchers, pitchers. I'm fighting off pitchers, pitches with this article or this ranking. And, and I know that, man, I just hope that I make, I just hope I find the barrel. Yeah, I would say, and it's, it's funny. I'm going to go opposite on your, your statement there. I okay. actually am the most confident in my top thirties. Okay. <laughs> And it's and honestly, the only reason that is, is because I'm down with these teams so much throughout the season. I always I joked with someone earlier today, I could write a Tigers top 30 with my eyes closed, you know, just because it's you, you watch the development track of these guys, you see so many of their performances, you sort of learn their, you know, their quirks, and you see the areas where they need to grow. And I've seen some of these guys actually quite a few of these guys who are the top prospects I've watched them since year one and I've seen them play at all levels now because of my travel. And so that gives me more of a well-rounded, okay, this guy could cut it at the major league level, or oh, I don't know if his arm's going to play up at that level. So you start to kind of be able to pick apart the ones who do have that little, you know, extra push behind them or the ones who are maybe, oh, you know, might be a fourth outfielder, might be, you know, but you know, back end reliever of some kind. And, um, it's, that's, that's something that I think I can stand behind pretty well. Um, haven't done as many features and that's something I'm kind of pushing myself in a little bit more, um, to try and get better because like I said, never really happy with what I put out. I'm always, always wishing I had tweaked something or changed something, but something that my grandpa used to tell me, he said, when you put something out, he said, if you're fully satisfied with it, it doesn't, it, it, you're not really a true artist because a true artist is never fully satisfied no matter what. They always feel like it could have been better. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. My, my Tiger's top 30, I, I was okay about with it. I, I didn't love it, but I was okay about it. My Yankees top 30 hated it. Absolutely hated it. And it got a pretty good response, but I just, I was like, this is, 
it's it's too hard. It's it's too many right-handed pitchers that require <laughs> subtle separates. Thirty right-handed pitchers you want me to rank, and from varying ages and levels. And um, but I do think that sometimes when we think that we're knocking one out of the park, that's not our best content. I feel like some of my best stuff is the stuff that I wrestle over and and just like ah, I don't like it, but we gotta we gotta publish we gotta publish something. So here it is and. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's when, it, have you experienced that? You know, it's just like, eh, I don't know. But, and then when you get that response, if you get a positive response from it, are you able to take that into the next time you have that feeling and say, hey, it kind of worked last time for me. Let's, let's trust the process again and see if it, see how it plays. Yeah. I think with every, every scenario, I think you're going to gain a little bit of confidence because you have a better idea of what to set up for. Um, And I I think with those types of situations, you just really have to start to trust your instincts. And I think the more you do it, the more comfortable you become. And there's always going to be those times where you're like, oh, I've got to put this out. And I've surprised myself too with the the response. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's not something I love and the feedback is incredible and really fantastic. And so I think you just have to start to go with your gut a little bit more and say, hey, you know this. You know this. Just go with it. Trust it. Learn from it. And apply it to the next time. This is this is pretty fascinating stuff. But I want to switch gears here. Um, music. Do you like it? And what do you like? I love music. I spend probably 85% of my life in my car. So <laughs> you kind of have to to have those tunes to fall back on. And it really just depends on my mood. Um, I will listen to anything but heavy metal. Sorry to all the metal heads out there. What about Metallica? Do you consider Metallica heavy metal? You know, I would consider Metallica more of like a classic band then i would say heavy metal heavy metal to me is more of the the you know incoherent screaming so so that is it it this i don't mind putting myself is it the yeah yeah fuck is this guy singing about here and i can only handle so so much (laughs) i can only handle so much double bass pedal too where it just kind of starts to make your head hurt and I, I appreciate true musicians. So there's, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to all the anti-country and bluegrass people, but I love a lot of bluegrass and country bands because the musicianship. So it's, you know, the guitars or even mandolins. I, I go on these mandolin kicks sometimes. When it comes to my workouts, when I'm at the gym, I love working out to Latin music. Because the beats are so just, oh, so catchy. <laughs> Do you have to have something that gets you amped to work out? Oh, very much so. <laughs> because I don't really listen to music when I work out. But sometimes when I'll do, I'll listen to Hall & Oates. I'll listen to like soft yacht rock. I'll listen to like Michael McDonald and and be doing squats to that. It doesn't like... Uh, it, I don't know if it helps me so much. If if I like it, then it pumps me up. I'm, I think I'm weird like that. 
I think it's a matter of just putting yourself in a good mindset yes. for whatever that is for working out. For me, generally, I work out after work. I'll go to the gym. I'm tired. I've been up for a very long time. And so for me, I have to mentally get back into a good place. And a lot of that is get some, you know, some pump up music just to get yourself going, gets you into a good place, and then you can do what you need to do. So based on your current mood, let's say the last week or so, I mean, favorite song is an impossible question to answer, but what's the song that you're, or, or, or a band or, you know, what have you been listening to lately that's really kind of getting you, getting you going and, and pumping you up? You know, this is going to be really, really embarrassing, but I've been listening to a lot of my guilty pleasure band. I can't believe I'm saying this publicly. Florida Georgia Line. <laughs> oh, man, it's worse than Nickelback. <laughs> uh, I will fight you on that one, sir. I think Nickelback is bottom of the barrel. but um, Is no, Nickelback Florida... a 20-grade band? On a good day. They're 20. They're 20, but like they have success. So so who is Nickelback like when we're talking about major league players? How, how do could is 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 Nickelback what what major league player is Nickelback without really offending a major league player? That is an excellent question that I don't know if I can answer on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I can either. This was completely I just I, I literally just came up with that. So I don't know if I have an answer either. Like you're talking poor poor maybe you know what maybe Maybe Chris Davis from the Orioles. You know, there's occasionally a Nickelback song that gets stuck in my head, but ultimately at the end of the day, is anyone just like, eh, Chris Davis? I'm not excited. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to throw shade at Chris Davis. Chris Davis is better than I could ever be on my on my absolute best day with after I took like the Super Mario Brothers mushrooms that like got me the PDs and got me jacked. He's still better than anything that I could ever be. So and anyways, if you're listening to this. Tweet at us and let us know who is the nickelback of major league players. And if it's funny, you know, then that's good. If if it's offensive, then we might have to call you <laughs> we might have to call you out. But um so you've been you've been pumping Florida Georgia line. What is it about their music that's like really getting you feeling to ready ready to carpe DM? It's honestly it makes me think of summer. And I have been so cold, along with the rest of the Midwest, with the beautiful polar vortex that we had last week. It helps me just get in a better place. Because the hard thing about Michigan, and a lot of other parts of the Midwest can say this too, the sun disappears most of January. It just, it goes away. It's it's just gone. It's like, I'll, I'll be back soon. Um, it's, it's a little alarming. They were, there was a stat I read somewhere that said Michigan during January, the suicide rates are among the highest anywhere in the month of January in Michigan. And it's, it has to do, I mean, it goes to show you everybody needs sunshine. (laughs) It, It gets very, very tough here this time of year. And so for me, it puts me in kind of a healthier mindset with the weather because it's so cold here for so long. Just kind of reminds you, hey, summer's coming, spring's coming, baseball's coming. Just got to stay in that good spot. And there's such a summer theme band. It's all about summer songs and being outdoors and all of that. Can I get you to sing a couple bars? 
you cannot. Man, I couldn't get Scott Green to sing any any of the boss either. I'm eventually someone's coming on this podcast and singing. Um, you know, for me, I um I I work as as a PTA, so I'm you know we it's it's we got like the radio, so I can listen to music all day while I'm hanging out with patients, and most of my patients are old dudes, and uh, I'll take requests from them, but you know it's like. I can go anywhere from playing like Black Sabbath, Jimi Hendrix, to Hall and Oates, to Al Green, to Teddy Pendergrass, to the Beatles, and it's like we'll just listen to music all day with these, with these old dudes while they're while they're learning how to retrain their butt cheek muscles. But uh, for me, like you know what I've been bumping the last week? It's Al Green's greatest hits. It's good. Like choice. it's it's got it's like it's 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 burrowed into my mind. And I'm looking at the cover of Al Green's greatest hits and he's, he's standing there with his shirt off in like this crazy cool pose. And I was thinking to myself, I will never be cool enough in my life. And I never have been cool enough in my life to take my shirt off and do this pose and be able to pull it off. And that was a very sobering thought that, <laughs> that I had is I, that 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 will never be me. So, anyways, I'm a big fan of Al Green. Um, who else do you like? What do you like during baseball season, like on a long car ride? Honestly, um, I like to listen to a lot of um, more of the classics. So I'll listen to, you know, the Beatles. Um, I was trying to think. Simon and Garfunkel. I really like Paul Simon. Paul Simon's really good. Um, I'll listen to. Like I said, a lot of Latin music. I enjoy a lot of Latin music. I'll listen to some podcasts. Um, really, yeah, it just depends on my mood. I'm a big U2 fan, classic U2. Yes. I like R.E.M., which is great, great, uh, you know, 80s, somewhat 90s band. Um, yeah, those are really, again, just depends on my mood. I'll listen to jazz sometimes. I listen to, you know, 50s and 60s, Motown really a little bit of everything now being from michigan did you ever get into like the detroit punk scene back I in the 90s i did not i did like, not i was white very stripes fan? um i yes now i i grew up very very sheltered and so didn't really get exposed to a ton of that type of music until later on um, my parents i have to give my parents credit though for they both appreciate music and so we're all a very musical family we all sing we all play instruments um and so growing up in that uh guitar and then some piano i play guitar banjo and mandolin so the next time you come to lakeland my wife plays tin whistle and likes celtic oh nice so the next time you come into florida i think we need to get a little three-piece going on (laughs) that's interesting that that the white stripes would have been something, I guess it would have been lumped into that scene because I feel like that's one of the most innocent bands out there. You know, they kind of, they kind of market themselves as just like brother, sister, childlike music. Oh, and I'm a huge fan now. That's interesting. Their, uh, their stuff was so unique. Another band that I really enjoyed was the civil wars. I think that they've, and they, I think they've broken up, if I remember correctly. They're not together anymore, but really like them. Um, uh, Need to Breathe is another band that I really, really enjoy. Uh, more of the the folksy, you know, kind of bluegrassy 
um, with a little bit of Southern rock mixed in. They're incredible musicians. I've seen them live a couple times. Um, and there's that's another band. I like Chris Thiele. Love, love, love Nickel Creek. That was one of my absolute favorite bands and his solo stuff has been really enjoyable. So definitely enjoy that scene and what's come out of there. So I have a love hate relationship with Chris Thiele in that I, I'm try, I, you know, I've taught my, I taught myself how to play guitar and then I bought a mandolin and I taught myself how to fake mandolin. And I look at Chris Thiele and I'm thinking he's so good that I should never touch this mandolin again because I can't even come close to that, but I can't stop listening to him play mandolin. Yeah. He's, he's pretty amazing. <laughs> Destroy any confidence I have in the mandolin. He destroys it. And I'm like, dude, that's 80 grade. I can't, I I'll never get there ever. That's <laughs> genius level man. Like that's, that's musical genius. Chris Thiele easily. So, um, <laughs> That's that's interesting. I didn't realize we liked a lot of the same music. Do you like the Avit Brothers? Talking about folksy country guys. Um, some, yeah, I would say some. Not not as much, maybe. Because I love the Avit Brothers. I've seen them live too, like four or five times. But my wife is just like, stop playing the Avit Brothers. And I'm thinking to myself, how can you not want to <laughs> listen to this a million times on repeat? This is good stuff. But to each their own, I guess. Um. What else? What else should we talk about here before uh, before we close this out? You have anything anything pressing you want to say? Um, just looking forward to the season starting. I've got working on some fun projects right now to uh, have have up in print soon, and um, yeah, just looking forward to getting back to the field. We're in the home stretch of these winter months here in the the Midwest. And I think all of us are looking forward to some relief. So it's counting down the days and ready to head to Arizona once March rolls around. So you mentioned Arizona for spring training. Do you have a Lakeland trip planned for the season? That is to be determined. Um, if, if it does happen likely later in this summer, um, generally I'll go down to Lakeland to see some Gulf Coast League and check out the new draft class. So it would likely be, I would say, July or August, which, if you think about it, is really the worst possible time to go to Lakeland, um, weather-wise. Especially to watch a Gulf Coast League game. Exactly. (laughs) The Gulf Coast League will make or break you, whether you're a player or if you're someone who covers the team. It is about the most brutal scenario you can put yourself in, but it's always always a time that I enjoy because I get to see a lot of the the roving instructors who I don't get to see as much during the season and um, connect a lot with these guys you know more of a personal level and just get to see them at work so so it's, it's always a fun thing so hopefully I'll get a chance to work that out this year I call it the golf roast league it's factual yeah. I would I'd back that um, at least Dunedin and Tampa have shade most of them don't it's brutal and you could literally go to seven games in the gulf coast league and have all of the first innings each last an hour and a half and it not be abnormal (laughs) that is accurate (laughs) um let me ask you this talk about minor leaguers i mean you've been banging the drum for the minor league pace system to be overhauled 
Yes, sir. Do you have any hope that when the collective bargaining agreement expires, that the current players will advocate for the minor leaguers? You know, I think some of them will. Um, some of them are already starting to become a lot more vocal about it, which is very refreshing to see. Um, and I actually am putting together a piece right now to give more of an inside look to what life as a minor leaguer is like. Um, and I've gotten a chance to talk with a great deal of players and family members, um, the majority of whom are speaking anonymously just for their protection. Um, so for that that side of it, I think it's going to be really hopefully educational to the fans um, to understand what these guys go through season by season. So hearing from, um, I've talked to two major league players so far, and they are both very supportive and outspoken about um, fair treatment, but it's it's a very complex, multifaceted process. And I think it's it's going to be probably a while before it's really put into a better place, but I think we're definitely moving in the right direction. On a scale of... I don't care because it doesn't affect me to let's light a Molotov cocktail and start the revolution. How angry were you when you saw that report that came out that in Arizona MLB was trying to get some exemption from paying minimum wage so that they could continue to exploit minor leaguers? That was, that was very hard to swallow. And I, I talked to a lot of other people who were involved in the, the same type of situation that I've been sort of putting myself in with trying to represent these guys and their story and nobody really understands it. It's, it's very hard to understand um, when you're, when you already are kind of in, you know, a bad place with the public eye, it's almost sort of pushing you into an even worse place, you know, when you think about it. And so it's, it's, it's confusing to me why they are wanting to go that route um, my hope is that enough people will speak up against it to where some type of a, you know, a situation can be changed with that. But as of right now, um, that's what they're fighting for. Um, it's it's going to be quite a, a multifaceted process. And with the fact that it is only for spring training, um, I don't know if we'll see any change this year because you look at how long these things can drag out and spring training only goes for so long. So in no time, everybody's going to be gone. And so will that even apply anymore? And so that's that's the more complex side of it. But um, I think it's it's becoming more of a well-known issue. And my hope is that if enough people you know, are vocal about it, that we'll start to see a little bit of a shift in a better direction. I think we are going to have to be the advocates for these guys because they're not going to get on Twitter and, and, and talk about like the, you know, the team like that. I think it's going to take people like you it's going to take people like eric sim who's a, a phenomenal follow on twitter uh, it's going to take really the masses saying hey this is unacceptable because for every first round pick that gets a four million dollar signing bonus there's potentially 33 33 to 39 other guys that don't get shit and are expected to, I, I didn't realize these guys don't get paid to go to extended spring training. They don't get paid to go to, to instructional league. They only get paid 
during the season. And if you get left off the full season roster, so so if 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 let's talk Kingston Lineak, the Tigers' fourth round pick, if he doesn't make the roster, if they'd have no plans to send him to the Midwest League to start the season, this kid doesn't get paid until June when the Gulf Coast League or if they send him to the New York Penn League. Uh, he doesn't get paid until that starts. And to me, I didn't realize that. And I, I, I kind of feel like one of the things that we should be doing as writers and people who cover these prospects, it's not about helping someone's fantasy team or giving your team hope that there's help on the way. I think we, we should also continue to bang the drum to end the exploitation of these guys. Just because, just because they're doing a job that none of that me, neither you or I could ever do doesn't mean that they shouldn't be compensated for it and I think a lot of people lose sight because oh well they're playing baseball that's cool but these guys are making like less than two or three dollars an hour and that's it and most of them don't get that million dollar signing bonus correct all right so hey if you're listening to this and 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 if you Emily, Emily has 15,000 followers on Twitter. If 15,000 people tweeted at once, hey, MLB, start paying these guys and stop, you know, this, this sort of, you get to, your, your, your payment is a chance to be in the big leagues and love of the game type bullshit exploitation. These multi-billion dollar franchises can pony up enough to pay these dudes at least 50 grand a year. Um, if, if all of you guys tweeted out about that at once, that's how we change this. Uh, and that's how we advocate on behalf of these players that we all love because we all want to see these prospects become major league players. We all want to root for them. We're, we're all waiting for that next, that next missing piece for our franchise or that next franchise player. So now I'm angry. So let's, uh, Let's lighten things up real quick before we get out of here. Rapid fire. I'm going to give you five questions, okay? You ready? Oh, here we go. You ready? (laughs) Would you rather go to a concert of your favorite band or a Tigers playoff game? Tigers playoff game. Who is your favorite Tigers prospect that you've ever covered? I'm not allowed to pick favorites. Who is most enjoyable? Who is the most enjoyable? Uh, Matt Manning. Ooh, good choice. Is Casey Mize gonna make the big leagues in 2019? No. Is Isaac Paredes <laughs> is Isaac Paredes <laughs> gonna be the first middle of the order bat that the Tigers have developed since Nick Castellanos? Well, yes and no, because That's Nick was well, homegrown. But they got Paredes when he was in A-ball, right? And so, Kind of homegrown, a little bit. They did, but they didn't start him from scratch. So I would say there's, it's very similar, it's very close, but slightly different because they did pluck him from the, the poor, poor Cubs farm system and their, their poor fans who... Have faith. Be strong, guys. Your system Nobody's will Nobody's shedding a someday. tear for Cubs fans after they just won a World Series. Get out of here. 
that's the price you get for that's the price you get for <laughs> contending. You you get a shitty farm system and a loaded and a loaded team. So our last question. If you could live anywhere, where would you live? Ireland. Really? I think that's going to follow up question. Why? Because of the food. Anybody who follows me knows that I have probably a far too healthy enjoyment of food. Um, the scenery and the culture and the music. I wouldn't think of Ireland as like a place for food per se. Not like Paris. It's different. Different cultures. I have had some of their food and it's fantastic. So that's very high on my list. Are you a meat and potatoes gal? Very much. Bangers and mash. Is that what it is? Very much. I love much. going to Irish restaurants. I love going to Irish restaurants. I, I, I would love to go to Ireland too. Um, all right. Now are you ready for the subjective round? Let's see what you've got. <laughs> so the subjective round is I'm going to ask you five questions and you have to guess what I would answer. Oh, goodness. Okay. Okay. All right. You ready? Yes. What type of pitching prospect do I prefer? The athletic delivery with insane velo or the pitchability guy? Option A. Wrong. Neither. I want both combined into one. I want my guys throwing four pitches in a ball. Question. You are a <laughs> cheater to the nth degree, <laughs> sir. Uh, question number two. Is there a better movie than Avengers Infinity War? No. Correct. Question number three. Ronald Acuna or Christian Pache? Pache. Correct. Question four. Dogs or cats? Crap. Um, dogs? The answer is both, so that's wrong. Question You five. are cheating, sir. <laughs> Question five. So really, I haven't gotten it wrong yet because you haven't delivered me all my options. You know, when you, when you design the game, you write the rules for the game. As they yeah, happen. You write them as they happen. <laughs> All right. Last question. Do I care more about providing coverage for a guy you've never heard about or shouting from the rooftops? Hey, look at this Vlad, Vlad Jr. video. Look at the guy that everyone likes. Vlad Jr. Wrong. I want the little guy. So let's see. How did you do? You got two out of five right. That's a 400 batting average. You are now entering the Hall of Fame. That is fantastic. I need rapid fire Tigers questions to end it. Rapid fire Tigers questions. Let's, let's end it on rapid fire Tigers prospect questions. Rapid fire Tigers prospect questions. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Brock Dethridge, real deal or wait and see till double A gets him? I'm going to call him a real steal because I I think he's a steal. I think that the Tigers got somebody who is going to develop if he can work the kinks out of his timing. 
So I, if I say that Brock Deathridge is a utility outfielder, is he still considered a steal for you? If he is a utility outfielder, not so much, but I think he has a chance. And I say chance in all capital letters, contingent upon if he can work the kinks out of his timing and his swing. Um, I think he's a steal if he's an everyday guy. And I think as of right now, he has a chance to be an everyday guy. I would say that even if he becomes a major leaguer and is a fourth outfielder, a 10th round senior sign is still a steal. So I'm just kind of like giving him a high floor almost. And yeah, I'm just backing you up there. I think obviously if you get a 10th round senior sign and he becomes an everyday regular, then that's like a genius move by the, you know, by the front office. But even if you get a 10th round senior sign that contributes at the major league level, that doesn't really happen a lot. I don't think. Um, All right. Next question. Jake Rogers. Is he a perennial all-star as a catcher? Yes. Matt Manning. Does all he need is the change up to become a front of the rotation starter? In my opinion, I've got him as a number three. That's where I have him. A good one. Yep. Daz Cameron, is he the starting center fielder by July? No. Ooh. Franklin Perez, what does he need to do in order to regain that high-level prospect, that top 50 prospect status that he once had? Quit injuring himself. (laughs) Stay healthy. Stop being snake-bitten. That's the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing. Is Parker Meadows really the steal of the 2019 draft? Are we talking like the full class? Like everybody? Let's just say from Tigers. Let's say for the Tigers. Like Mize is the sexy guy. Mize is the guy. You know, you got other guys people like Cody Clemens is further along. But is Parker Meadows really going to be the steal of that draft for the Tigers? Potentially, yes. Tarek Skubal, how does a man go from walking everyone in college to walking no one at the professional level? Something the Tigers did or the fact that everyone in the GCL swings at everything? Option number two. Really? Let's elaborate more on him because people have been like banging the drum on him trying to find him as a deep sleeper because his command was terrible in college. I think with him and... Remind me how old he is again. I'm blanking on that. 21 or 22, maybe? Yeah. To me, I think he is too advanced for the GCL. And so I think that that, not saying that he didn't work hard and didn't earn it. I think he very much did. I think it gave him a very strong platform to start with. And I think once he has more time in the Midwest League, and all of that, you're going to start to see if that's long-term. I've only seen him a couple of times, so haven't really gathered a full, well-rounded view of him yet. But I think we'll see more of that this coming season and the next couple of years. There's a pretty strong correlation, or I'm sorry, pretty strong, um, I think, argument that you could make to say that the competition he faced in college was far superior than what he faced in his first taste of professional baseball. And it generally is. Brock Duthridge told me the same thing. 
that's that's how it is for those those schools that you know they come from very structured programs to facing very young guys in the Gulf Coast League and so it's it's definitely a transition. What can you tell us about Adenzo Reyes? Not much, honestly. <laughs> um I am vaguely familiar with his profile but Something you'll learn about me, too, is if I don't know much about a player, I will openly admit I don't know much about a player. And he is he's one that, other than a few notes here and there from some of my international contacts, don't really have a full opinion of him yet. But as I get more of one, I will be sure to make that public. Have you heard glowing reports on him? I have heard solid reports. I have not heard glowing. Give me one word on the next Three or four guys, okay. Winciel Perez. Charismatic. Ooh, I like it. I can see that, man. He's high motor. Kristen Stewart. Hulk. <laughs> Hulk. Kyle Funkhauser. You know, and it's funny, this this is gonna show how old I really am because it's past my bedtime and so my creativity is is lacking. Um I'm gonna say finesse. That's what he needs. And then last but not least, Alex I will Faido. say um, potential because I believe that there is still potential, but he has a very much an uphill battle ahead of him. Since it's past Emily's bedtime, let's go ahead and get out of here. Um, anything you want to plug before we before we leave? Um, yeah, just keep your eye out for the next couple of weeks. I'll have a couple stories coming out. Um, got one on Jemai Jones from the Angels that uh, I had a chance to talk to uh, last week. Um, We're going to do a playoff of the State of the Union address. We're going to do a State of the System, the farm system, and Talking Tigers with one of their executives. So I'll have that coming out hopefully later this week. And then, yeah, some other fun things in the works and hope you guys can all follow along. Thank you for coming on here and staying up past your bedtime to just talk a bunch of crap with me. (laughs) My pleasure. Thanks again for having me. All right. So, hey, rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason at the game. We're getting out of here. Before we see it, you take it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.